listening to a Clovis Hills podcast. You're about to hear from one of our teaching pastors. I want to encourage you, go download the Clovis Hills app where you can listen to sermons, you can give, you can do the growth group questions. They're on there too. And you can study God's word together. God bless you guys and go be the church. Some business, okay, before we get into God's word. And this deals across all campuses of Clovis Hills. Um, I don't know if you realize this, but um, one, Easter is a month away. Like it's the first month of, or first weekend of April. And that, for, as a pastor, that I'm just like gray hairs are boop, boop, boop right now. And um, there's a couple of things going on. Um, they're all great things. Um, but I don't know if you've noticed, but the room is a little full now. Okay. That's good. All right. That's a good thing. But, um, we have people in the venue right now. If, if you're, you walked in, you're like, well, I think I want to get away from some people right now. You can go in the venue. There's a big open space in there. You can watch too. But because of that, and we know more and more people are coming back to church and we still want to, as best possible, honor CDC guidelines and things like that, um, and live in the spirit of compliance, um, we got to start another service, okay? We got to go from two, we're going to go to three services. So that's good news. And uh, just want to let you know, we're going to, starting on Easter Sunday, we're going to have new service times, okay? Um, and it's going to screw with all of our routines, I know. But hey, since we're in the middle of a pandemic, let's just finish screwing with our routines by screwing with it more. So we're going to begin doing three services on Sunday morning, starting Easter Sunday. We have an 8.30 service. There'll be no childcare at the 8.30 service. That's for those of you that are early risers. Uh, just think when NFL season starts, huh? huh? Yeah, all right, okay, have your fancy lineup set by the end of service. Um, and then we'll have another service at 10 and one at 11.30. So 8.30, 10, and 11.30. And part of the reason we're doing that is because people are coming back to church. But I don't know if you know, while our doors were closed for most of the year, we baptized 100 people. So we're not, we're not taking our foot off the gas, is what, what I'm trying to tell you, is we want to reach people. That's, this, we exist as a church to make new disciples, helping them connect with God, grow in their faith, serve in love, and then go be the church. So that's why we're here. So um, some of you are, thinking, are asking like, well, when are you gonna do the evening services again? And we will have an evening service at some point. Uh, we'll probably be, end up doing a Sunday evening service coming in the future. But uh, for starting on Easter, new service times, 8.30, 10, and 11.30. I'm still struggling with those times too, so you know. So I might show up late, who knows? But um, kidding. I'm kidding. So um, here's the thing though, because people are coming back to church, everyone's kind of dipping their toe back in. Uh, it's left us in a jam and I need your help as your pastor. Um, we're, we need some people to begin serving again, um, to get involved in different teams. And maybe something you could do is for a season of your life, maybe this spring season from like, you know, spring till summer is get involved serving in some team, whether it's um, greeting or parking or setup team or working in the Connect Center or pouring fish crackers in the cup for CM or my favorite position on a Sunday morning serving, I'm just gonna let pull the curtain back, I think it's the best one, is the children's greeter. Like literally all you have to do is read a name tag that's on them and go, hey, Bobby, high five, yeah. And the kid's like, he knew my name. So... 
powerful actually. Um, and it's super easy and they just think you're awesome because you know their name. So uh, all kinds of different positions. So uh, I wanna encourage you, which by the way, like there's an incredible servant culture here. Um, even, the, even those that lead us in worship. I don't know, I don't, you know, the, the young woman that led us in that, the last song in this room, um, if you were watching, you know, um, she has this incredible voice. I had no idea. And because she's been running camera through the whole pandemic. She's been, you know, sweeping things. Like just people serve here. And here's what happens. To have a great experience and to grow in the Lord, every one of us, need relationships and responsibilities to one another. And our relationships happen in our growth groups and our responsibilities happen when we serve one another. And that's a powerful thing. So if you are feeling inspired by my great little locker room speech right there, here's what I want you to do. I want you to text, okay, right now, pull your phone out and text 559-235-1525. Just text serve. And um, we will get in touch with you tomorrow to try and figure out a good place for you to serve. I promise I'm not gonna send you a bunch of spam texts like, hey, your day will be blessed if you forward this to 12 other, I won't do that. I hate those things. Stop sending them to your pastor. Um, <laughs> you don't get blessed for sending another text, okay? Um, but you will be blessed if you serve is what I want you to know. So, you know, I encourage you, if you can serve, get involved. Um, I had someone the other, the other day were like, well, you know, we served our whole life and, and we're good now. And, and I was like, oh, nay, nay. You never retire in God's kingdom. You may have a season of rest, but you always want to keep serving God and serving his people. So I encourage you, get involved with that. Amen? Amen? All right, we're good. So text that in and we'll get in touch with you tomorrow. Our staff will begin calling you or texting you or emailing you, however you want to get contacted. Um, I, I've been fishing a lot more in my life, uh, especially through the pandemic. It was like a great way to get out and do stuff. And uh, do we have any fisher people? I don't want to say fishermen because women fish too. Any fisher people in the room? They're usually quiet. They're like, yeah, yeah, you scare the fish. But, um, <laughs> you know, I've been reading about it and I, you know, the best fisherman I know, I have a friend, Mike, who's in, he shows me pictures of trout like this big. I don't know how you catch trout that big. They're incredible. And the best fisherman will tell you to catch fish, you got to think like a fish, right? And um, to catch, you know, and, and I began to think about like, well, how does a fish think? And fish actually um, have proportionately to the size of their body, one of the smallest brains in the animal kingdom. They're not, they're not smart animals, okay? Um, as a matter of fact, they, they don't, th all they think is, I see a fly, I eat the fly. Like they don't, and you know, th they're all about, I'm going to consume calories and swim as least possible. Consume as many calories, expend as little calories as possible. This is fish life. You'll never catch a, you know, a trout thinking about like, what am I gonna do in the next season of my life? What is this life about, man? You don't catch trout doing that. You don't see a female carp having a conversation with a male carp going, you know, I feel like you don't really know me. <laughs> and you love me for my body, but not my me. Like they don't have that kind of cognition. They see food, they eat, they swim. That, that, that's, that's all they do. And that's why, if you think about it, um, they're so dumb. 
that you can throw like a little hook with a feather on it in the water. And they're like, I'll eat that. And they'll, they'll eat it. And all of a sudden, all the other fish see them eat it. And then they magically disappear out of the water. They start wiggling and boom, they go out of the water. It's, you know, I, I wonder like what all the other fish are thinking. Are they not like, that fish just flew away to God. And they don't tell the other fish, like, hey, don't eat the thing with the feather on it. It's not really a fly. Um, if you eat that, you'll fly away. They, they, don't, they don't do that. They just instinctively hit the lure when it hits the water. If they're hungry, they hit the lure. That's what they do. They operate only on in, their instincts, their, their, their carnal flesh. Aren't fish dumb? Like they get lured into this trap based on how their biology has set them. Fish are idiots, aren't they? Glad I'm not like a fish. Hmm. I'm just so glad I don't respond to my physiological and psychological needs and make dumb decisions based on them that would trap me or hook me or hurt me because I would never do that. We're doing this series called Sinners, Saints, and Sufferers. And um, the premise of this series is that we, we really just want to, during this season of our lives, experience the heart of Jesus and really understand God's heart for us. Um, in a world where everyone's angry, everyone's offended, everyone's canceled, it's time to just look at Jesus, the one who will never cancel you, who's never offended, who's full of grace and truth. So the last couple of weeks, we've taken a verse or two, and we've just kind of tried to wring as much meaning out of it as possible. And uh, this week and last week and the week coming, Pastor Scott's going to be preaching. All these are verses out of the book of Hebrews. And there's a theme in the book of Hebrews. Uh, we don't know who wrote the book of Hebrews, but there's a theme in it. Um, and it, it's one of the great themes is that Jesus is our high priest. So I would love it right now, wherever you're at, um, if you could, for good old time's sake, if you could rise in honor of God's word. And I'm going to read to you from Hebrews chapter 4. Verses 14 through 16, and this is God's word. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended to heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. This is God's word. You may be seated. <laughs> Got an amen right there. Love it, love it. Listen, um, if you look at the first verse in that passage, it says in verse 14, it says, therefore, since we have a great high priest who's ascended into heaven, it's Jesus, the son of God, okay? It says, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. 
So I want to talk to you about what a high priest is, because Pastor Scott's going to touch on it next week, too. And, and you know, that's not really something we come across very often, um, especially if, like, you've you're, uh, been in a Protestant church like this for many years. Uh, you don't have a priest. I have um, uh, friends and, and people that don't go to church or they have more of a Catholic or Episcopalian background. And uh, I remember my um, son's soccer team, um, I, I may or may not have gotten kicked out of a game once as an angry parent, but um, <laughs> I didn't really do anything. I still got kicked out. So I come back to the next game and I remember one of the moms was like, I couldn't believe they kicked you out of the game. That, you didn't do anything and you're a priest. <laughs> I was like, well, I'm not really a priest, but thank you. Um, um, but I want to talk to you about what a high priest is, what a priest is. So um, we all have some some baggage, but I want to tell you what the Bible says a priest is, if that makes sense. Because in the Old Testament, they had this group of Levites and priests. Levites were part of this priestly order. They weren't priests though, but they, they assisted the priests. So the Levites would set up worship. So I don't know if you know, but at both of our locations, there's groups of people that show up. They're early risers and that's how they serve and they have the gift of helps. And they show up and they set up church everywhere. They put things out, they get it ready, they do that. Um, I can't wait for the day we have coffee again here. There's a group of Levites that set up coffee here because that is holy unto the Lord. Can I get an amen for that? So, and they, they, they would set up the tabernacle or the temple and get everything ready for worship. So then you had priests and the priest's job were to really do the prayers, be the intermediate between the people and God. So the people would come to the priest and then the priest would go to God and talk to God because the priest probably, you know, was a little more set apart, lived a little holier life. And they, they felt like the priest could approach God better than the average sinner could. And that's the way the Jewish religious system worked out. And then what happened is the priest would also perform these religious duties. And they had one guy, he was the high priest, the boss priest, the boss man of all the priests. And he was more set apart. He lived a, more, a much holier life. And he, he would actually go into the temple. And in the temple, they had this one little room called the Holy of Holies. And only the high priest was allowed in the Holy of Holies because he was supposed to live a life more set apart, a life more holy than everyone. And he would go into the Holy of Holies and he would make a sacrifice, an animal sacrifice for the sins of the people. And I know some of you are thinking right now, you're like, that is so primitive. Like, why do they do animal sacrifices? It's just weird. Like, I, you know, that, that just feels like, you know, sacrifice virgin at volcano. Kind of like, that's just like, what is that about? And I want to remind you of something, okay? Um, so we all live in the 21st century. And the reason we think animal sacrifice is weird is because Every one of us in this room is a bunch of wimps. <laughs> and here's what I mean by that. Here's what I mean by that. Um, when I want food, I go to a store and I get it. And it has passed many of us that in order to eat an animal, 
the animal had to be killed. We never saw the blood spilled. We never saw it stripped of anything. We never saw... Those of you that grew up on farms, you may know a little better. I come from Southern California where meat grows in supermarkets. But the rest of human history and most of the world, they see animals die every day. And it is a clearly understood human principle that in order for us to live, animals and plants die. And symbolically, the, you know, they didn't just kill an animal and throw it in the trash. These were animals that were sacrificed, but they were used in worship, the priests, the Levites, they would eat some of these sacrifices. Like this was like not something that was just a senseless act of killing. But the blood of that animal symbolized something that had been broken between us and God. So the high priest would go in, make that sacrifice. And there's a legend, we don't know if it's true, but um, during the first temple era, because the presence of God was in this room, the Holy of Holies, and only the high priest could go in there. If the high priest had like some blatant sin in his life, they were afraid that he would go into the Holy Holies, be in the presence of God, and he would just fall down dead. And the problem is, if he falls down dead in the Holy of Holies, there's no other high priest to go get him and drag his body out so the priest would die and stinketh in the Holy of Holies. So the legend was they would tie a rope around his waist and a bell around his ankle. And if they heard the bell stop jingling, or they heard a thud to the ground, they'd be like, pull the priest out, he's dead again. But he served as the, inter, the kind of the, the intercessor, the one who went to God for the people. What the Bible is telling us, what the book of Hebrews is telling us is that you no longer need a high priest because Jesus is your great high priest. That he's gone. See, because all the Jews knew the priests were holy, but they weren't that holy. They were just people, right? You know, when, when, when the lady on my son's soccer team calls me a priest, she thinks like I'm actually holier than her. I'm not. She just doesn't know me. Those of you that know me are like, yeah, let me tell you. Thank you for last service. They were like, amen. You know, I'm, listen, here, here's the truth. I'm up here today. And the, the reality is I'm no more holy than you guys. I'm just a blind beggar telling the other blind beggars where the bread is. And Jesus is the great high priest. He's greater than the high priest because he actually went through it all. He went through every temptation we went through. He, went, he, went, he struggled with every struggle we had, sickness, pain, relational trauma, poverty, all of that. Jesus went through all of it and never sinned. And he can go right, not just to the Holy of Holies, Jesus can walk right to the right hand of God right in the very presence, the throne room of God for us. And this is why we don't need a priest anymore. So, what does this verse mean though? Okay, thank you for teaching me about what priests do, Sean. What does it mean to me? I gotta go to work tomorrow. Well, I'm gonna tell you a couple things. Um, you know, you ever, you ever been tempted by anything? No, not you guys. You guys don't. Last night I did a wedding. By the way, incredible wedding. Um, th this couple actually, 
had been divorced for seven years. And God brought them back together and they reconciled and they did this wedding in front of their little kids. And it just like, I don't cry at weddings, I cried at that wedding. But anyways, I'm at the wedding. Did it, really cool. It was over at Old Town, good morning Old Town. And um, I remember I was standing by the wedding cake and there's all these cupcakes around. And um, my wife and I do a ketogenic diet. I do it in solidarity with her. Mine's more of a Cheetogenic diet. <laughs> when she's not looking, I cheat. But um, <laughs> I'm kind of just like eyeballing all these cupcakes because they just look so good. And in my head, I'm like, be good, Sean. Be good, Sean. I'm not going to be good. I'm totally going to eat one tonight. <laughs> I might have 10. Um, and from across the tent, I hear the, the voice of sweet Kelly Beatty saying, don't think about it, Sean Beatty. <laughs> she knew. She knew I was facing this temptation. And it, my, my flesh, my desire for sugar was pulling me to it. So here's what I, I want you to know. Guys, um, sometimes we think Jesus didn't face temptation in his life, and it's not a sin to eat a cupcake. It might be to eat 10, but anyways. Um, Jesus faced all the same temptation we did. As a matter of fact, number one in your outline is Jesus actually knew temptation better than we do. He sees us stuck in our sin. Believe it or not, Jesus didn't put on like, he, he didn't have like, he couldn't change characters where he was like, I'm fully man, but now I'm being tempted. So now I'm God and all is good. He didn't do that. He didn't call on his superpowers, his God powers. He was limited to all of the, the, the humanhood that we have. As a matter of fact, he even said in the scriptures, apart from the father, I can do nothing. Right? So Jesus knew. And look what it says in Hebrews 4.15. It says, For we do not have a high priest who's unable to empathize with our weakness. But we have one who's been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let me talk to you about that word empathize real quick. Um, if you read it in different Bible translations, I usually preach from the NIV. I don't, it's not because I think that one's better or worse or whatever. It's just the one I've preached in my whole life and I've got it pretty well, well in my head. But um, if you read different Bible translations, that word empathize, if you read it in the uh, NASB or the ESV, they, they use the word sympathize. The NIV and a few others use the word empathize. I, I, I'm gonna let you know, I looked into this word. I began studying it. Like, is it empathize or is it sympathize? And then I had to go, what's the difference between empathy and sympathy? I, I had to do that myself. And then I began reading the etymology of all these words. I just went to the Greek word. And here's what I want you to know. Really the, the meaning behind this word in the Greek is sympathy, empathy, and compassion. All in one, all wrapped in one. Let me explain to you what I mean. So empathy refers to feeling what another person is feeling because you've felt that before. Sympathy is more, um, means you, you understand what the other person's feeling even without ever feeling it yourself. So I'll give you a great example. Um, this morning I was reading an article from one of my favorite preachers of all times, uh, Timothy Keller. And Timothy Keller, he's 70 years old and he has stage four pancreatic cancer. And he's writing a lot now about dying because he knows his days are numbered and he's, he's just reflecting on it. And it's this article in the Atlantic and it was just incredibly insightful. I can have sympathy, but I don't have empathy because I don't have pancreatic cancer. I'm not facing that yet. I might be dying. I, I mean, we're all dying, but 
I can't have the same empathy he has. My wife, on the other hand, can read Timothy Keller and go, oh. So she can have sympathy and empathy. But I want to take it one step further because I think really what the writer of Hebrews is trying to get to is that Jesus, when he looks at you and me in our sin, he doesn't just have sympathy. He has empathy because he lived in a mortal body. He understood exactly what temptation is. As a matter of fact, he knew temptation better than you or me, and I'll tell you in a minute. But he also had compassion because compassion means um, your feelings have now prompted you to do something about it. So empathy is, you know, I, f- I feel your pain. I know what that feels like. I have something similar in my life. Sympathy is I don't know how you feel, but I, I, I feel for you. And then compassion says, I'm going to crawl down in the hole with you. What the writer of Hebrews is trying to tell us is that Jesus has all three of those. And he understands temptation far better than you or I. And you're like, what? What do you mean? No way. No way. Uh, but, but I need you to think about it. C.S. Lewis, in his book, Mere Christianity, he talked about this, about how Jesus really understood temptation better than all of us. And he used the analogy of a man wa- or a woman, a person walking in a windstorm. And if you're walking in a windstorm, um, over time, if the wind's 50, 60 miles an hour, it's beating you down. It's tiring you. And eventually you can't handle it anymore. And what will happen is you will give up and you will just lay down in the windstorm. But Jesus didn't lay down. In the, when the winds of temptation hit, he didn't lay down. So the, the person that, that walks 10 minutes further than you in the windstorm actually understood the temptation of laying down far better than you. And the person that walked through the whole windstorm without laying down, he actually understands the temptation even more greater than you because he went through the whole thing. So, Jesus understands what we go through. He doesn't look and go, look at those stupid humans getting caught by a lure of Satan, being sucked into a hole. I, um, one of the great uh, works of art in the 20th century illustrates this perfectly. It's... Um, It's this animated illustration called The Simpsons. (laughs) And um, Bart is trying to catch his father, Homer. And he digs a giant hole and he lays a bunch of uh, sticks and leaves over the hole and he puts a piece of pie on the hole. Right? That's actually how primitive people hunt animals, wild animals. It's a great way to catch them. They fall in the hole. Homer comes in and goes, ooh, you know, and he eats a pie and he falls in the hole and then he can't get out. And then the hunters would come and they would kill the animal in the hole and then they'd climb down the hole, pull the animal out and eat it and, and, and it's done. The, the animal's done. But here's the thing. Number two in your outline is this. Guys, sin has put us all in a hole, but Jesus crawls down into it and pulls us out. Last week we talked about it, that if you have shame, here's what I want you to know. Jesus 
runs to you in it. We want to hide. We feel bad. We don't want to go to God. The last thing we want to do when we're sinning is go to God. But Jesus runs to you because he has compassion on you and he, he dives in the hole with you to help you out of the hole. Here's the biggest problem though. And I, was, I would say this is it's no, number three. Everyone's way out of the hole looks a little different, but you aren't getting out of the hole of sin without Jesus. You can't just have willpower and be like, I'm not going to sin anymore. How's that going for you? If you've lived any amount on this earth and you tried that one, you've been like, eh, never mind. And everyone's way out looks a little different, but here, here's what I need you to understand. The Bible says that all of us have sinned and we've all fallen short of the glory of God. It says the wages of our sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. So what that means is when we sinned against God, not just stumbled, we all sin all the time. Like it's just who it's in us. When, when we sinned, it separated us from God. We fell in the hole and we can't get out. Here's the problem with many people, human beings. I've done it all myself too is we refuse to admit we're in the hole sometimes. We minimize our sin. Well, it's not that bad, you know. I just do it when I'm stressed out or, you know, or, you know, I, I love God and all, but I'm gonna keep doing this because I like it or I, you know, and, and we, we minimize our sin. The other thing we love to do when we're in the hole and we know we can't crawl out and we don't wanna ask for God to pull us out of it is we actually just compare the hole we're in to someone else's. Well, you know, I'm in this hole, but have you seen Susan's hole? <laughs> have you seen this person? Oh my gosh, you know, and we compare. I'm not Hitler. <laughs> that's a hole. I mean, come on. That, that's what we, 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 we compare. Or what I've watched secular culture do is they'll just take something that's just blatantly disobedient to God and go, no, it's not. I'm not in a hole. You're in the hole. But I'm gonna let you in on something. Number four is this. The good news of the gospel is that everyone can get out. You can approach the throne of grace with confidence. Here's what this means. I wanna read you the scripture. It says, let us then so that then, that, that's a qualifier, right? That something's happened. That when Jesus becomes your high priest, the one who, who makes the ultimate sacrifice, that you never need to make a blood sacrifice again, thank God, because Jesus made the ultimate one. You never have to go to another priest again because Jesus is your ultimate priest. All of that, because of Jesus, it says, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence. So that, when we, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Here's what this means. That while I was in the hole, while I'm in the hole, God in all his love, he's not mad at you. It doesn't matter what it is you've done. It doesn't matter who you are. That the moment you admit I'm in the hole and I can't get out, Jesus dives in it. He runs to you. And it doesn't matter who you are. Gay, straight, Baptist, Buddhist, Raider fan, Charger fan, Dodger fan, Giants fans, all Padres fans are going to heaven. But listen, 
It doesn't matter that Jesus dives in the hole, but you gotta admit there's a hole and that you're in it and that you can't get out. See, much of secular culture, they want all of the utopia that heaven will bring. They want the kingdom of God. They want equality. They want grace. They want all of that. But they want the kingdom without the king. And until you make Jesus your king. And see, the way you do that, the Bible says it very clearly. It says, but as many as received him. To those who believe in his name, he gave them the right to become children of God. That you have to receive Jesus. You have to say, I'm in the hole. I need you, Lord. I need you to forgive my sins. And the good news is, he doesn't just forgive the one sin that got you there. He forgives all the sins that got you there. He forgives your sins past, present, future. There's no shame. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But you have to make that brave choice to do that. And only you can do that. And it takes, takes a little bit of faith, an itty bit, and a lot of courage. And the Bible says that if you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you'll be saved. So for some of you this morning, I just want to remind you, if you're in Christ Jesus and you know you are, you don't have to live in that hole. The lure may have got you, but the great fisher of men, Jesus, has you forever. And nothing can snatch you out of his hand. Whatever it is you're struggling with, whether it's a sin, whether it's some pain in your life, whether it's relational trauma, whether it's poverty, Jesus went through every bit of it. The difference is, like us, eventually we lay down, we give up, we have boundaries, we have limits. He has none. We go to the edge of the stage, he dives off. This is God's love for you. But for some of you, you don't know where you stand in Christ Jesus. And today's your day. You sense it. That's the Spirit of God knocking at the door of your heart. Just let him in. Let's pray.